If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is presented by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy whenever you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop to say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you love and support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head down to 301 South Main Street and tell them Curtis and Brian sent you. Buddy, we are back after a three-week hiatus. I swear it did not take me three weeks to uh, work off that hangover. You sure? I, I, I swear. I swear. <laughs> Happy New Year, first of all, man. Um, yeah, hey. You know what? You 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 you, t- you, we, you go out with a bang every year, right? Yeah, that there was, was, no that was definitely a, that was definitely a bang. You go out, <laughs> we go out with a bang every year with that episode. It's a lot of fun. You get to unload a lot of grievances. You uh, get to say things normally we may not say, things we may not do. But you know, shout out Tally and Jeremy for coming on. It was a blast. If you have not listened to that episode, um. Please, please do um, go back and listen to that because it was an entertaining two hours. Um, if you watched live, which a lot of people did, like Lavar joined us in here that night. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, man. Um, now, one brief caveat before we get going tonight. Our buddy Robbie Compton, who was going to join us, is not able to uh, wifey a little under the weather. and He's having to uh, do some uh, doctoring on her tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we got the word uh, about two Wait. hours ago. We were like, hey, you know, we're flexible. It is what it is. We got something that's coming down the pike where Robbie's going to be able to join us at another time. We'll probably loop in some of the AFCA stuff. Yeah, uh, that we were going to chat with him about tonight uh, when he comes on then. So looking forward to that, but we still got a nice little episode planned for you guys tonight. We always, we always do. We always do. Brian, I noticed you've got a few uh, new things in the background there. Got the, uh, got rid of yeah, the clock. I, I see. I got rid of the clock. Got a little, uh, little VT 
emblem there. So changing it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, courtesy of the in-laws. So shout out in-laws for the uh, the Christmas gift. Shout out in-laws. Very nice. Um, the litho finally got hung. Hey. The lithograph of Lane Stadium finally got hung. Where did you shift the other stuff behind there? All right. So, uh, well, first of all, the Virginia Tech map of Virginia is now directly behind me. Um, the guitar painting is now over here, over next to the guitar. Um, the golf is over there. Uh, you know, my wife's already been criticizing me out the way I put everything up, and she's like, it doesn't look right. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I think what's going to happen, I'm going to take a nap one afternoon, and she's going to come in here and rearrange everything, and I really won't care either way. But, uh, yeah, but... We do have a lot of, we have some things to unload tonight. Um, kind of our big topic at the end of the evening we're going to be discussing is who are the new alpha dogs for the Hokies? We have a lot of guys, a lot of fifth and sixth year seniors leaving the program after this season, and there's quite a few holes to fill. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about that after the break. But, Brian, let's uh, go ahead and hit it off of the bat here, and let's talk about the transfer portal because – there's been some action with the Hokies over the past uh, roughly week here, and it's not all good news. Let's start with the bad news because, you know, I'm going to be real. Uh, it came down uh, Thursday night. Darian Varner had decommitted from the Hokies and committed to the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, I'm still kind of pissed about this one. I don't know about you. Uh, it sounds like the staff was a little heated as well, based on everything that was made public on the timeline and uh, from the words of, well, at least a quote from from Varner himself. And I mean, I get it. Uh, I, the situation definitely, um, you know, you, you commit. We're, we're almost three weeks down the road. Sign. Literally, li- yeah, literally Sign. about, to, literally about to to enroll, and all of a sudden, you know, some new information comes down. And the flip happens, and I mean, you hate to see it. Um, the only thing I'll say is that, you know, we, we talked about this when when we were talking about Varner. Is you know, he was kind of a tweener. You did mention did, that. Did that impact kind of what we were looking at for him, and did what we were looking at for him impact whether he was still kind of had his eyes out for other opportunities? It's very true. And you mentioned the tweener that you, I, if you didn't say it on here, you said it to me in private that he's going to play, he, he's going to play the five, but he's going to play some three. You said that you're like, he's going to play five, which is the technique, you know, end over the tackle and he's going to play some three. And the funny thing is with that, well, I don't want to play on the inside. He's going to, you know, Wisconsin with fickle. And unless fickle changes his dynamic, Fickle's always been a three-man front guy. He's been it since he got to Cincinnati. He's been that forever, yeah. that three-three-five stack. And he's guaranteed to play in, but it's effectively the same in. You know, you know what? I, I don't want to get into it because I'm going to get off again. I, it, 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 it more irritates me because of the timing. If the kid was not 100% committed, especially the signing day stuff, where essentially they had to release him. Because he had signed, right? That's that's what every that's what usually they do not put. If someone does not sign, they do not put their name. They do not go through the ceremony with them just because 
at pomp and circumstance and somebody backs out or something happens, not a good yeah, look. Yeah, and, and it's nebulous with the portal because the portal, nothing is in ink essentially until you enroll. Yeah. So the so the rules are different, but I think how it was treated, it was treated as, you know, that, that official – um, but, type notation. Obviously, it ended up not being so official. But, but it's but it screwed us even more now. Well, it screwed us even more because now we were either slowing our search or putting our putting our search on on hold for another defensive lineman because we thought we were set. Now now we're kind of having to ramp that back up a little more last minute after you know some of the pickings have already been you know picked through. So. Um, that's unfortunate, um, mm-hmm. side effect of losing a guy like Varner, who we were both, you know, I think pretty high on, like I said, oh, I yeah. think I, th- I thought he was at least going to be a guy that production wise could have came in and potentially replaced a lot of what, what Garbett was doing. And, and we 100%. talked that with pain, with having pain back him being able to replace a lot of what, what Griffin did, it would be almost like he really didn't have any drop off potentially, at least from what you had last year, that not, isn't necessarily moving us forward into the direction we want to go, but it's at least kind of stopping any sort of bleeding we have on that defensive end position. Well, and but, now, but, we, now we still got to staunch it a little bit, right? Yeah. We, we got to staunch it. We got to find someone and, and likely you're having to find you, you've got to, it's now going to have to be sped up to a point. What are we now? We are, we got what, 10 days until it's over. Because it started the sixth, thirty. We got ten days, ten days. Transfer portal one is closed, and you're trying to find. My, my assumption was Varner was the older guy, a couple years of eligibility left, and probably looking for a younger guy as well. You're, they're still having to do that search, and um, you know it is what it is. All right, one more piece. If folks didn't see it, I don't think this comes as a shock. Uh, maybe it's a shock of what he did, but not him leaving. Um, offensive interior offensive lineman Daniel Militech um, leaves the program, and per the Instagram page, was he was signing with a I guess a semi pro team in Germany. I mean, yeah, good for him. Yeah, um, good, good good for him. He's I mean he's still able to play football, getting some some scratch from it. Um, you know, had, hadn't really made his way up the depth chart. Um, kind of would. Float one step up, deep. one step back, de- depending on, you know, every every time we got a new crop of recruits in, he'd start so at the kind of two deep and then be three deep by the end of the year. Um, kind of did that a couple years back to back, and now we're kind of, you know, yeah. I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall. I'm not going to play any meaningful snaps here. Let's go do what I want to do. Get some time. Get some get some some coin for it, and keep go back home. Yeah, essentially go back home and get some coin for it. And, you know, best of luck to him and whatever he does. But, you know, that again, that helps that keeps getting that number towards, you know, what it needs to be to get the full class in plus the additional um, portal uh, commits. And there were two this week, not one, but two. It was kind of being said left and right that we were going to be getting two. Um, didn't know what to I, – I don't think I ever heard a name being mentioned um, from anybody, and if I missed it, I missed it. But the first one, Brian, let's talk about this. Um, in on three's transfer portal uh, rankings, he is the 24-ranked wide receiver. 
He is from Middle Tennessee, someone we played back in 2021. And, you know, five foot eight, 175-pound Jalen Lane. Um, coolest part about Jalen is the way on three ranked him. He was a guy who was just barely a three-star coming out, and now he's borderline four-star in the transfer portal with on three. Um, and, you know, you looked at some of his tape. I mean, what are you seeing from him? Where is he going to play? You know, where can he play? Where do you think he's going to play? Uh, I think in what we're trying to do and just based on his skill set, his frame, he's going to slot in at the slot. Um, I, I think he's definitely going to pair well uh, with Felton, with Jennings in the slot uh, for this team, especially as we're moving towards a little bit more of that Moorhead RPO um, going into this season with drones pulling the trigger. Uh, I'm really excited about this group of wideouts because we went into the offseason like, all right, so with Caleb in the portal, we're looking at Lofton with 22 receptions as our our big returning wideout this year. And now we've completely flipped that room over. And it's going to be big. And I think the question that it also brings is that with these three guys coming in, are we about to see some wide receiver attrition? Is that going to happen at the back end? of window one or are we going to wait and see how they play through the spring and the ones that are ready to jump will we'll do so in that second window what are your thoughts man well my thoughts on that is that i think they there has to be wider attrition now and and this is more for those guys than it is for the team if you want to sit there and try to go through spring i mean it easily could be guaranteed that you're not given a scholarship after spring's done you know, and you're going to have the the lesser time in the portal. But let's look at that room real quick. Um, you know, oh, God, I feel like this room is getting worse than the wide receiver room. 14 total wideouts. 14. Um, it, See, we, we, we debated this earlier. So he's, he's referring, like, comparing it to the running back room under Fuente. It was like nine. Nah, at one point it was 11. Okay, okay, wait a second. I always thought it was – so that's not as bad, I guess. So At one point it was 11. Now we got 14 wideouts, uh, 14 including wideouts. incoming – Including the incoming freshmen with the portal yeah. guys. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I sit here and say, all right, I think me and you agreed earlier. It's somewhere between two or four leaving. And who do you think the two or four are? Who do, I mean, you sit here tonight, if you say these two guys are gone, probably, just because. Um, I'd say there's potential for Lofton if he's ready to be take another step for maybe a a different type of squad. Um, I'd say there's potential for Jalen Jones, um, potentially Christian Moss. Those those three guys played a, a, a big role, somewhat of a big role at various parts of the season for us last year. Um, Jones a little bit less so. Um, it was more yeah. kind of spot, but Lofton and uh, and Moss obviously Moss early in the year, and then then Lofton kind of up and down as the year went along. Um, are they looking to to move on because we've got a, a fresh batch of, of wideouts coming in, two of which have multiple years of eligibility remaining? It's true. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on if they're if they're settled in their role, if they want to fight 
to to get some more snaps out there uh, in the games uh, against these guys who seem to be the until we see other tape the starting um, starting three slot X and X and, uh, X and Z yeah so I mean I, I think we got those those three are the guys unless somebody that that was on the roster takes some big steps from last year so do they take the spring to see if they make those steps and can push those guys or do they go ahead and try to find their future home now while there are more slots open. And that's why I lean to say they need to go ahead and get in there. And if you ask me, I think if I think the only two guys who I would want to stay and should stay are, are probably Lofton and Gosnell. And I say that because we've already seen with Bowen and Fontel is they will rotate. It's not like these with Felton Jennings and now Lane coming in, it's not like they're going to be coming in and they're going to get all the snaps. We saw him last year being willing to rotate people in. But where I get more concerned is this is this is just me thinking right now. I think guys like Jalen Jones, Dallin Wright, um, Bradshaw. I, I think Christian Moss less because we kept seeing Christian Moss. We kept seeing, we heard his name mentioned a lot more than the other guys. I mean, I think it's one of those things you pick up and find a home. Because if you sit here and at the end of spring, guys like Aiden Green, Chance Fitzgerald, and Baylor come in and absolutely ball, you're going to have about a 15-day window. Versus now, if you put yourself in the portal with the roughly 10 days left, you're guaranteed your scholarship for the spring. And you can start marketing yourselves and figure out where you're going to be going next, whether it is G5, FCS, D2, JUCOs, and places like that. So that's I'll, that's say, t- I'll say two things against that. So number one on Bradshaw. Number one on Bradshaw. I think Bradshaw is our starting slot receiver in 2025. Okay. So I don't think he is a guy that is going to transfer because I think – whether Lofton stays or not, we've we've seen what Lofton can do. And I'm not sure if, like I said, unless we see some significant improvement and fluidity within the system in this spring, I think he's getting leapfrogged by a guy like Bradshaw in the, the depth chart by the end of next year. Well, I, I mean, but see, I look more, I'm looking at 2023, and if you tell me, can you depend on Bradshaw or any of those guys for 2023? Lofton didn't blow it up, but at least you know Lofton can play at the level, and we, you do need some depth. And that's what's got to be figured out in the spring. And I mean, we're going to be getting into that in these upcoming months, which is going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's flip to the other commit, Brian. Um, another really good player, and that's going to be Derek Canteen um, out of Georgia Southern. Uh, another guy that if you take a look at, you know, when, you know, he came out underrated guy, you know, basically mid seventies, you know, so two star and now getting rated, he is one of the top 50 corners in the portal. Um, and he commits, you know, five foot 10, 175 pounds. And, uh, you know, you look at his stat lines, and I didn't get to talk about Jalen Lane's stat lines, which you want to go see some, go look at the Miami stat line. He he torched them a few times. But his 
his true freshman year back in COVID year, six picks. That's insane. Yep. Coming out as a freshman and obviously won some honors that year. Um, but what's the tape talking about canteen and, you know, a little bit of regression, you know, 2021 injured, a little bit of regression this year, but still playing at a good level um, down at Georgia Southern. But what's the tape telling you? Yeah. So look, let's, let's talk about a couple of things. So when we talk about the tape, I see him as a very prototypical nickel corner that has some flexibility to play outside. Okay. Um, so I think that would be the type of role that he would have for us this year. Um, when we look at the production, great, obviously great numbers in 2020. Um, great. When you look at kind of the various metrics that are out there, not as many picks last year, a um, little bit better when he was called on to rush the pass or got more opportunities to do that as well. Uh, the only thing that would concern me is that his tackling got significantly worse uh, in 2022 compared to 2020 when he really kind of was killing it. Um, whether that, I think the big, big thing is as to his success for us is going to be whether that kind of regresses at least to the mean for us this year. If it does, then I think we're okay. I mean, it wasn't egregious fall off, but it was certainly something to, to, that kind of turns your eye. Um, and if, if he can clean any of that up at all, even if he doesn't get back to the, to the levels he was at in 2020, I think we'll be fine. All right. Um, do you feel comfortable with the three-man rotation? And when I say three-man rotation, do you feel comfortable with Dorian Strong coming off the field and it being only him and Mansoor? Yeah, I think so. You look at the combination of the, those three kind of being the three primary corners, and then you'll probably work in Cam Johnson and one or two other guys in a, in some sort of occasional rotation, right? Um, but the big three are going to be Strong, Delane, and then Canteen, in my mind, based on what we're doing so far, unless unless somebody takes a big step and jumps uh, one of those guys this offseason, which I don't foresee happening, but we'll see. Um, I feel pretty comfortable. I feel more comfortable with those three going into the season than I felt last year with the three we had. And we had a veteran group last year. We had guys that had played a lot of snaps, but we just didn't have – what, what I would have perceived at the time as being a true alpha starting the season. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see see those guys kind of emerge in that room a little bit. So I think there's there's going to be something to talk about there. Yeah. And as far as it goes with just the stat line from Canteen, I mean, the guy still had 12 pass deflections as a corner. So so he, he may not have gotten the ball as many times. He still had a quite a few pass deflections. Um so we'll see. Again, I think that room is now pretty solid. What we again, you said it. There may no be no one from the current roster that can take that big step, but I just think we want to see good gains from guys like Cam Johnson um, to be able to supplement the three starters in that case. All right, let's take our mind off football. Unfortunately, for a few minutes. <laughs> Cover your eyes. Cover your eyes, guys. Uh, let's talk a little bit about hoops, Brian. You know. Hokies currently on a four-game losing streak that goes back to the BC game that unfortunately kicked off the uh, <laughs> the state of the program address. Jer- Jeremy decided to black out because of that game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the only reason. Nothing else. But you know, we're talking about we're talking about losses now to Wake Forest by two points. 
to Clemson by three points and the loss, the comeback comes up short versus NC State by four points. And this team, which was rolling going into December, is now absolutely reeling. Um, and tough trip tomorrow night to the Carrier Dome. Uh, yeah. But, you know, just those games. I mean, I didn't get to see any of the state game. I was I was out with my wonderful wife and enjoying this unbelievable burger at Red Saw here in Richmond that was – really damn good when we, and and as we leave i look at the phone and you and robbie and jason have blown me up about how the game like what the <laughs> but yeah that that one wasn't it wasn't pretty to watch it, it really wasn't it wasn't pretty to watch and we've i mean we've kind of seen that i think you know we're we're struggling to put consistent offense out there, which is not something I thought we'd be talking about. Um, we knew that the defense was probably going to take a hit this year. We thought that the offense was going to be good enough to compensate, but we're a team right now that needs three point shooting to win. And we're not hitting threes at the clip we need to, um, you know, when we look at the, the percentage that we're shooting threes, it's just, it's, it's much poorer than last year on a team that in theory should be hitting more because there are more shooters on the floor. There are significantly better shooters on the floor. I mean, you know, we're under 35% now from three. And I, and if you, and if I, if let's go back, what did I say about five weeks ago? Like we can't live like that. We were going to lose games because of that. And, and here and behold, you know, we're losing games. And we showed earlier in the year that we could grind out wins even when we weren't hitting, but you take a guy that plays defense like Couture off the floor, yep. and that's the difference between grinding out a, a narrow win and, and the, the, the losing streak that we're on right now. Yep. And again, so, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, well, some of this is fixable. Some of this is fixable. You get Couture back. You get Rice back, who is uh, has, a, has a hair trigger at the three-point line. We'll see if he can be a boost to this team. Uh, but I think the big thing that getting Couture and getting Rice back that's going to do, it's going to give you some more lineup flexibility to where mm -hmm. if one, one or two guys are cold, there's, there's a little more flexibility to rotate guys in that can maybe kind of give the team a spark when the offense just quite isn't quite clicking uh, like it needs to. Because right now, without Rice and without Couture, there's really no one to kind of bring in from an offensive standpoint that oh, yeah. give you that start. But, I mean, no, no disrespect to, you know, Kidd or Collins, but the offensive standpoint, they're good bodies on defense, get you a few points here or there, then they're Poteet kind of done that all year. But, you know, let's talk about Rodney. And Kidd Ray. had one of his better games, you know, this last outing, but it was still, you know, not it's, enough. Gonna, it's, it's not going to be – you're not going to get that from him every night. Oh, exactly. I mean, again, we've been talking about them coming off the bench and what it's been – They've been given about 14, 15. Somebody will get close to 10. The others will, you know, drop in a couple points here or there. But let's go back to Rodney Rice real quick because Monday press conference, Mike Young says he has been given the okay to play Wednesday, which we found out, you know, in the press conference after the loss, right? Yep. And not being cleared, which I think, you know, I understand why you don't say that leading up. 
because you know why 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 let teams prepare for you a different way if you're not doing that. Um, but and he had to know that this announcement that he is cleared was coming soon when he divulged the information that he hasn't been cleared. Yeah. So he had to know that he was maybe at most one game away from getting that clearance. Um, And I I get, you know, Mike Young mind games. I get that. But, you know, at the same time, I think from a fan perspective, it was kind of frustrating to watch a guy warm up, dress, (laughs) and then sit warm up dress, like rinse and repeat for, for, uh, you know, what, almost a month now. Um, yeah. It gets a little tedious. Um, I think it'll be crazy. It'll be crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, it mattered, I think a little bit less before the couture injury, but I think everyone was hoping for a lift. Um, when, when we found out couture was going to be out for at least a handful of games and, you know, seeing a guy that, you know, was dressing and warming up and then, you know, not playing. Was, was a scratch. It, it, it was a little bit frustrating. And then when the losses start coming along with that, I think everybody was getting a little, little frustrated with the situation. So now it's nice to kind of be able to move past that element of it. And we can focus on, all right, so what can Rodney Rice do for us? And we, we will get to find out that pretty soon. We will get to find out on, uh, Again, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on the ACC Network. Um, oh, it's actually on the ACC Network? It's actually on the ACC Network, not RSN. God bless. Uh, so <laughs> I'd actually go drink on that just because it's so annoying. Um, all right, let's flip real quick. Just talk about the ladies real quick, which they're going through some ups and downs after that Notre Dame game. You know, they get upset at Clemson. They beat ranked UNC, handle UVA without Kitley. UVA, who had only had one loss up to that point. Then they get Kelly back, and they go down and lose to Miami. Um, and, you know, Louisville coming up Thursday, they're still ranked, probably still safely in the tournament the way they've been playing. But, God, what is it about January and Hokies basketball where it's just like it's a way or it's a freaking roller coaster of um, – yeah, I mean, and, and you know, these are these are the Clemson especially was a game that they should have took, taken care of. Let me let me put this. Thanks, Clark. Oh no! Why does it say ACC Network on the Hokie Sports page? Could they could they make that change just so I can be? I think, I think it's all the the blackout rules and stuff. Like technically, if you're certain places, oh, it can be is. on the ACC Network, but. Well, no, no, no. It says it right here. It's in. They make it a smaller, smaller print. Uh, Appreciate it, Clark, for that. But you know, can the ladies get back on track of what they were doing earlier this season? Um, over the next few weeks, you know, they got Louisville, and then you're looking at Pitt. You're looking at Wake Forest, Duke, Virginia again. It's not like until they get to Wake Forest. Or excuse me, until they get to State. It's not like they're going through a gauntlet of big teams. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, kind of move forward here. Uh, I, th- I think that just talent-wise, they're going to circle the wagons here. Um, they should. But it's been a frustrating start to January so far, 10 days in. Well, frustrating even more is, you know, the, we look at wrestling, which was, you know, got some uh, coverage. Again, 
I, I thought that would be on the ACC network on Friday night versus Cornell. It's essentially a top 10 wrestling matchup with, you know, two programs that send players to, you know, the nationals. Instead, that's a 30 for 30. And this is on ACC extra. I, I swear, whoever does the programming for a, like hire me, give me seven figures. I can get you figured out real quick. Cause they're a bunch of idiots. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'll do it for six. You'll do it for six. <laughs> I'll, undercut six. You. Undercut I'll undercut you. I'll undercut you. Just hire me as a uh, consultant, but you know, they, they go out West and have a couple good matches at Stanford um, who has a couple good, a uh, couple good guys looking, but they beat them. They handle another smaller school out there, and then they come back for the Cornell. And and I know there's some younger guys on it. I couldn't tell you everything about wrestling. I'd shout out my fraternity brother, David Fuqua, who pays probably more attention to it and could tell more. Maybe we'll have him on one day. But it was a rough loss, but they backed it up a couple days later by wiping the floor with American and Mason. And I just don't know enough about wrestling, honestly. I know someone that was a J.J. Who was it that said they were at the match in one of the matches? It seems our guy was wiping the floor, but the other guy won like three two. Yeah, I think that was, that was JJ. Uh, okay, I, I wasn't able to watch, so um, unfortunately, I don't have a, a lot of insight onto kind of what was going down. I saw Sam with the big um, Sam had a big one W there, so um, that was that was great for him, but uh, definitely uneven um, for you know from top to bottom so hopefully i mean we can see them move on from that they've already done a good job with that so far so um i think they'll keep the train of moving here i mean still ranked still gonna send some guys to nationals you got two at the end of the month which will be on the acc network and that's nc state and Pitt, two of the other powers um in wrestling again that will be on acc network i don't know how that one did but this one didn't but you know what do i know all right, just a couple more notes before we hit the break here, Brian. Um, I don't know if you read this or you know about the man, but Charlie Breaker was announced that he is going to be succeeding Mark Emirate <laughs> as the NCAA president. Thoughts? Um, no, <laughs> because it's the NCAA. Um, and we'll see if a leadership change knock some sense into that organization, but I don't see it happening. Um, this is still an organization that is nothing but a reactionary money machine and has zero interest in actually governing the sport of football specifically. Um, they're pretty awful across the board, but in, in terms of the, the money makers for them, they are awful at governing the sport. And I, foresee a time when they're going to be made obsolete all right well i think the move for baker is this baker is a good politician and he's a good policy maker i mean and i say he's a good politician he's a republican that won in massachusetts the governorship not once but twice which is pretty damn impressive in my opinion um but the question is has there been so much damage done by emirates regime even if you take a strong person to come in there and maybe straighten things out, like they're not going to be able to do it because they're so far behind. Um, I would hope not. I would hope there is a chance and someone new comes in and can straighten it out. But I'm much like you. I'm holding my breath until I actually see something done. Um, 
you know, I just you just can't foresee it. I need to see a full flip of a lot of things um, before I get any anywhere on board with what they're trying to do. All right, there's Brian's statement. All right, one last piece, Brian. Let's let's see your feelings on this. There has been a committee um, out there, the NCAA Transformation Committee, that is recommending that March Madness expand to 90 teams. Boo. No. God, no. Boo. No. I mean, it's just like, are you bleeping kidding me? Like, 64 was perfect. And then you put 68. 68's okay. 68's fine. Fine. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got no big qualms with it. I, I think we've seen a couple kind of come out of that, um, those early early rounds and make a little noise. So, I mean, there's there's some legitis, legitimacy put behind it at this point. Um, but you're going to have 32 more teams on top Yeah, of that's that. the thing. It's like, if you said, okay, will, will we go from 68 to 72, I I'll have a discussion about that, <laughs> but I mean, ad- adding 30, no, no. Well, that is the logistical point, right? Like, when are you going to do this? Like, are you literally going to like announce teams? Hey, you're in the uh, play in tournament. You're going to go here on Monday and then you're going to play a game every day this week. I-, I think it's dumb. I think the tournament is what it is, but clearly you can tell it's an organization trying to make more money. Um, while ruining one of the more perfect products out there. So if it goes to 90, it's just, it's like, you got to stop it somewhere. You got to stop it somewhere. And you're at this really good number that keeps so many people not working on Thursday and Friday of the first weekend in March. Stop. Stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right, y'all, before, guys, we get into some more topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian. So first note, let's hit this real quick because this was awesome, awesome, awesome to see released um, yesterday. Corey Moore is officially a college football Hall of Famer. It's about damn time. We had talked about this when he was on the ballot. Was it August when they kind of released the final ballot? And it was like we went over his accolades. It's like you cannot keep him out. What he did in 98-99, two-time Big East Player of the Year, Lombardi Lombardi Award winner Nagurski. Um, also, what has been surfacing, and I know Clark put it out there, maybe as much as you love Marshawns, I put Corey's one as far as best interviews with the press of all time. I mean, it's 1A and 1B, and if you put them in either order, I'll, I'll, I'll sign off on it. Um, all-time great, like – <laughs> big like metaphorical and and literal middle yeah. finger to the media as, as we're kind of except Randy through there. except Randy Ran, hey, Randy. Ran, Randy got the love Randy, Randy got, the, got love. the love but just in general I mean the man who coined the tarot on phrase in 99 versus Clemson that game um 
crazy eyes, just a just a barbarian on the field. Literally trying. I, I love how he was like already in intense mode for that interview. Like he had the same eyes as he did. as he did when he when he when he, when he t- said, "Welcome to the Terradome, baby." Same eyes, same same eyes. eyes. But it's it. it's great that he gets there. Um, and you know, another Hokie in the Hall of Fame, which is awesome. All right, Brian, let's flip and let's talk a little bit about the games uh, over the last few weeks that we did not talk about. Was that not the best semifinals for a New Year's Eve, man? Having drinks, eating some good food. I mean, you couldn't ask for more than those two games. Yeah, I mean, they gave us everything we could have wanted. Um, there was scoring. There was good good plays on defense. Um, it was, it was the exact balance between scoring and defense. I think in terms of creating a good college football game, everything kind of came down to the end in both. I mean, that's exactly what you want. It is man. And you know, let's talk about the last game first, the Ohio state Georgia game. I mean, it showed you that, you know, it was an elite slugfest. Yeah. I, I'll say this. I think if Marvin Harrison Jr. does not get knocked out of that game, I don't think they stop him. I, I think that last field goal's a touchdown, and I think they drive it again. That's my opinion yeah. on that. Um, yeah, and, I mean, you, you had uh, Kirby Smart with the most important timeout in Georgia football history on the fake punt. Oh, my God. And I, I think they never showed it. I think they gave it to him. I don't think he got there before they snapped that ball because that whistle went off almost simultaneously. It was very close. I mean, very close, super close. And again, that's a pretty big change, but you know, they hang on to win and we'll talk about what happened last night in a minute. But the first game, this is where that whole getting prepared can always help a team with lesser talent because TCU is lesser talented than Michigan. Yeah. Up and down the roster. But you saw they had that perfect game plan, especially defensively. They had um JJ's out routes pegged. Like, and basically the defensive coordinator basically said, You see that run, just go. Run to it, run through it. Because they didn't get one, they got two on the exact same route. Yep. And Michigan was too slow to kind of pivot off of that or make or call some counters off of that. Um, to kind of keep them on edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were too slow to do it. Um, and that ended up biting them in the ass. I mean, you know, they they, they kind of put things together late, but Not late a enough. lot of the damage had already been done. Uh, and TCU did a good job of capitalizing on every mistake Michigan made. Uh-huh. Every mistake. What, multiple turn? What, the two pick sixes, the fumble at the goal line, um, Michigan finally got Carmen to bite them in the arse 11 years later. They deserved it. <laughs> it would have been in New Orleans. It would have been even sweeter, just, you know. But, you know, you you mentioned as we were talking through this, you know, text change and stuff, was basically TCU played the A-plus game. They played their perfect game offensively and defensively, and even offensively with some turnovers. And Michigan played the B game. And in that case, even with that talent disparity, taking advantage, playing your games, they won. Now, let's flip to last night. 
Um, that that was not an that was an A plus game by Georgia. Yeah, Georgia had the perfect game plan, and they were hyped. And I'll tell I'll say this too: there is no one that is selling the the under hype better than Kirby Smart. Oh my God. Because how many of, the, of those players saying they thought we were going to be a seven or seven win team this year or eight Who win the team hell this year? That? No one said Nobody. that. Nobody. <laughs> but but I mean, but he they had him. He had them believing that they had been written off as any sort of contender for the college football playoff. Um, and it, I mean, it it showed they 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 played especially last night like it was the last game they'd ever play. They did. They played A plus, and then TCU borderline brought an F game. There was no creativity. They didn't pivot off anything. They look. You said it earlier. They look shell shocked. Yeah, in that game, they look shook. Like right out the gate, they they didn't look like they. They almost got punched in the mouth. They knew what they had come to the table with wasn't gonna work. And they just kind of look lost. And I thought there was going to be a little something when they got, they had the busted coverage, got them the big play, got down there, um, got the touchdown. I was like, all right, well, we got maybe a game here. And then Georgia right down the field. Yeah. Another touchdown. And then, you know, what, what's it from there? Um, 28 straight points before half. <laughs> 28 after, straight after points, that yeah. after that touchdown um and, and, you, and you could tell they were pressing i mean you know you, you went from from 31 to 38 because you're, you're pressing so hard to to score because you know you got to get something or terrible going to have to feel to feel like any sort of momentum um and then you kind of you know, it goes the other way and they get another touchdown to to close out the half so it was 100%. just a comedy of errors and a comedy of um just really not looking like a team that knew what to do once once their game plan was kind of in the trash. Yep. And, and you know the other pieces, this is where you talk about talent. This is this is the game you saw that the talent disparity was on display. Um but it was also the the time to prepare. This was a normal yeah. game week. Those more teams or less, yeah, more or less. More or less. They finished playing Saturday night. They probably flew back home Sunday, probably rested Sunday, started normal prep on Monday. And with something like that, when you have that big a talent disparity, you can't find the little niches. You can't find, you know, let's let's fake something. Let's do this. Let's do this. They went in there and, like, they, they, they essentially tried to stand up and fight Georgia versus, you know, let's get tricky, like, unload the bag. You can't do that. You can't do that with the talent disparity. It sucked even more that their best running back, you know, gets hurt in Michigan, the Michigan game at the Fiesta Bowl, and he's out. Um, but I think what we saw between those games, the USC Tulane game, and other games is it's going to be the reason 12 works, right? Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the reason 12 works because your elite teams are going to be waiting up here. And there could be a non-elite conference champion team, but with them having three to four weeks to prepare for whomever, right? So like Kansas State, well, Kansas State's going to have to play a team they can destroy them. Well, if they have a month to prepare to get healed and then to open up their bag of tricks, they might pull it. 
I know Mike McDaniel, our buddy over at SI, and our buddy's been on us many times, Hokie himself. Do you see a change in who's winning the national title the next 10 years? No. But I think not there's the short, not the short term. Not, not, not the short term. You're going to see, you know, unless there's big coaching changes at the places that we see right now, the, the, the those that are rolling are going to keep rolling. 100%. 100%. But again, it's that over the time frame. But I also think you're going to have some Cinderella stories, and you know, occasionally Cinderella can win. Occasionally, and I think I think where you're going to see it most. And I said, I said, you know, you might have a pre-crowned champion get knocked off in the first or second round or something like that, um, and then that results in. You know, a team that shouldn't be there, at least being there. Even if they don't win at all, they'll at least they'll be, they'll be there. there. Again, it's hope. I keep saying it. I keep saying it. It's a, This is a sport built on hope. Yep. And if you, you know, for years there was no hope, then there was a glimmer of hope, then there was a little more of a glimmer of hope. There was a big glimmer of hope for everybody out there that, you know, aren't your top five to seven teams. All right, Brian, something we talked about early and kind of what we're looking at this episode, who are going to be the new alpha dogs for the Hokies? Um, you know, we, we look around and there are some old alphas out of the door. You know, we look at uh, get Silas Danzi, who was, you know, Joe Rudolph told us on here back in October, he had really become the leader of that line. Got Caleb Smith, who was leading the wide receiver room this year, who has went to Notre Dame. Um, you got a guy like Tywan Garbett, who was maybe not the most vocal leader on the defensive line, but he definitely was on the field the leader because he had some of the best plays. Led by example, took care yeah. of business, yeah. left it all out there for sure. And a couple more guys, and these are obvious ones in Dax and Chamari, right? Yep. And, th- and those are guys, a lot of those names that we've talked about you know, for years, I mean, Dax has really kind of been a leader in the in his room almost since he, f- he first arrived on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he's been at least one of the alphas in that room, if not the guy. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of it's 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 we haven't really had at least from a linebacker perspective this big of a vacuum at the position in a long time. A long um, time. And similar with, uh, with with Chamari there, I think there hasn't really been a guy in about two or three years that has kind of been on that same level. So we're going to see some some interesting guys stepping into new roles, a lot more leadership from guys that we haven't seen leadership from. Um, and we, we're going to kind of assess that and see who we think those guys might be this year, who's going to step up and, and kind of take on those roles uh, as we roll into 2023. Absolutely. So let's start it. Let's start it. Obviously, this is an offensive lineman podcast. We're going to start right there. And Brian, you know, who is the leader? Because it's it's not like anybody was standing out completely on the offensive line this year. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kind of pivot and let you take this because what are you seeing? Who do you think could be the leader of this offensive line going into 2023? Um, I'm thinking just right off the bat in terms of guy that's that's done it, done he pretty well at a pretty decent level so far. Caden Moore, I think, is going to step into that role 
for the Hokies in 2023. Um, Two-year starter now. Um, has done some really good things. I think took took some steps um, from a leadership perspective a little bit this year. You know, we'll see if in an expanded um, capacity, if that is something that he kind of grows into heading into 2023. Um, but I feel like he is the guy in terms of ability and production. He's got the bona fides to step into that role. Whether he can handle that from a vocal standpoint, I'm not sure about. But I think that's something that that we'll we'll find out because I feel like he's going to be the guy to kind of take over that for the offensive line as we head into 2023 spring practice. All right. Um, let me ask this. You know, we 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 saw him on the line. He's a grinder. You know, not the most athletically gifted guy, but there's been sort of the buzz that Jesse Hansen may go to center. I mean, I think we know that should happen because of how Braylon Moore played at left guard last year. But if he gets to the center position, you know, with basically working his way into a starting slot, starting every game this year at left guard, if he plays center, could he be the person that takes the uh, reins? Well, number one, it's going to depend on if that's the move he makes, if he wins that job. I think if if we don't bring anybody else in, he's going to win that job if he moves to center. Um Center's a little bit less demanding from a physical standpoint, which has always been probably his weakest trait. Um, I don't know if he can handle some of the, the mental side of it, but if he picks that up well enough, um, I think that, you know, a lot of times you do look to your center as kind of being a leader. Um, he's the guy making the calls. He's the guy kind of setting things up for the offense uh, as a whole. Um you want your center to at least be somebody when they bark, you listen, because that's going to have to be uh, what happens a lot. Um, Whether that guy is the true alpha in the room or not can be, you know, debatable. Uh, But you always want your center to be a guy that has some, some level of vocal leadership in the room. All right. Good deal. And, and, and the way things are heading and we got 10 days, so maybe it changes. If they go out and they find a portal lineman that has some accolades, that has some cachet, from your experience, can someone walk in off the street that had not been in that room and take a leadership role? If we're talking about by the time fall rolls around, maybe. Um, If we're talking about between now and, and spring, definitely not. Okay. Um, but if, if we want to have a guy that can be some sort of leader, then he definitely needs to be on campus in the next 10 days. Uh, that's not going to be a second window thing. Um, if, if you're looking for the leadership aspect, then they need to be on campus, um, in the spring. Got it. So obviously let's, let's take a, you know, let's hold tight and see what happens the next 10 days. But I'm going to go back. I, I think I'm with you. I think Caden Moore's the guy. And I think he's got to take that role. And it was more because as you were watching the tape last year, right, Brian? He, he Did he have his mistakes? Yes. But was he probably the most consistent guy on the line, in your opinion? I'd say he was the most balanced in terms of being successful in the run game and the passing game. Uh, in terms of pass pro and, and run blocking. He he was the most consistent week in, week out. Um, he didn't necessarily have those 
elite games, um, but he also didn't bottom out like some of the other players did. And even some of the players in the leadership role had had a game here where they you would say they would have bottomed out. So um, I would go with with Cade Moore as being kind of that steady Eddie. Um, and like I said, with with two years of experience starting, he's going to be kind of the elder statesman uh, in terms of career snaps heading into the season as well. Got it. All right, so next room, let's look at wide receivers. And this is one we agreed on real quick because of a lot of different variables, and that's Ollie Jennings, even though he is a portal guy. Um, A, he's done it, right? Yep. His two years at ODU, he has been putting up numbers. He puts up numbers on everybody, whether it's AG5 and FCS or the team he's now playing for because he lit us up last year for over 100 yards. And as we that's with his quarterback having no time and an inability to get the ball, even drive the ball downfield most of the time. So at all. Yeah. At all. But the bigger thing as me and Brian were going through this and going through this exercise is it's that relationship with Fontel Mines. Because I think from the guy that recruited him at several places, got him to ODU, you know, coached him at ODU. He knows what Fontel wants. And, Brian, sometimes that can be the, the biggest leader. If it's the the guy who is preaching the coach's message the best and has the respect of everybody, that's an easy transition. Yeah, and, and Jennings is definitely that guy. Um, it's going to be a pretty easy transition to the locker room. Um, you know, he's a Virginia guy, so I think that's easily going to resonate with a lot of the guys in the locker room as well. Um. And again, he's a guy that is has the bona fides to back up what what he's when he what he's saying on the field. So when he barks, I think those guys will listen. Yep. Now the thing is with this though, Ali is just a one year guy. So with bringing the guys in like Lane and Felton and some of the younger Bucks, take a look at you know we're, we're going to be kind of in the same spot again last year. But the better part about this is you kind of get to see who's second in command. Watch. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those weird things when you hear who Ali's living with, um, who's around him a lot when we know we'll see it, when we see David Cunningham and some of the other guys' videos during some of the practices, who is his lieutenant? Yeah. Because whoever the lieutenant is, whoever's with him a lot, that's probably going to be your dog next year it was like when isaiah moved on we knew cam was going to be yep that guy he was his lieutenant they were yep. friends you could tell they i think they lived together even so you know it's one of those things where it all made sense and i think that's kind of what to look for going in the future all right defensive line because this is where me and you had a long conversation i feel like we talked about 25 minutes on it because i said and it was kind of with the offensive line too, but with the defensive line, you've got sort of two groups, right? You've got your edge and you've got your interior lineman. And how do you decide who becomes the leader out of those, or is it sort of subsets? And I was talking to you, I said, there's probably going to be a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Um, so I gave the example of, you know, if, if I had a guy, if I play guard, and I need to I needed to approach a leader about technique or 
um, concept of a play or anything like that, I was going to probably talk to the guy that was ahead of me or a guy that had been there for a while uh, at my position, whereas the overall leader of the unit might be somebody different. Um, I'm going to shout out Lee Bailey here um, from uh, Hamden City 2003, All-American center. Um, he was the guy that if he barked, you'd listen. Um, but, it, but if I needed to know something about guard play, I was going to Chad Cop. So it's kind of one of those s- scenarios where depending on the circumstance, your leader might be, might look a little different depending on the circumstance, but you know, you're going to have kind of that overarching force on that unit. Um, and when we look at that, you know, could that be one of the, the D tackles that's played a lot of snaps at this point, like a Pollard, a Fuga, a Kendricks, could it well, we be, know Pollard. We know Pollard's one of the most vocal guys in that room. Big vocal guy, big vocal guy. So I mean, if you're looking at overarching legal leader from a vocal standpoint, uh, you know you can see him emerge. If we're looking at DNs, I mean, you know, Fladarius Payne hasn't played any snaps for us, but he's been wow. on the roster now for for over a year or almost a year at this point. So, um, is that somebody that could move into a leadership role on the from a DN perspective? Uh, we probably lost our the biggest this year, and, and probably the de facto number two also. Yeah. Um, with with Griffin's um, eligibility expiring as well, so you know who do the, who does the DN room look to? I mean, Varner gone definitely leaves some questions. I think Varner, if he'd have came in, could have potentially been a guy that could have stepped into some type of role yeah. like that. But you know, Wisconsin has him now, so. Uh, we got to look to the future. Uh, I don't think anybody else that you bring in in the portal, whether somebody gets into the next 10 days or they come in uh, after spring, I don't think anybody else at this point would have the cachet to step into the locker room and be that for this unit. Um, so we're looking at guys on the roster right now. So I think probably your D tackle room is going to be leading the group, the, be- the best place to look for a leader for that unit this year. Right. I mean, and that makes sense. Um, and again, we had discussed actually before Varner decommitted, it was, I think the way we had it written down here, Varner could lead the room just because he was an all AAC performer. He had some credentials, right? Yep. You know, I've, I've played well. Um, and with him stepping out, it kind of leaves a void right there. So the question is, you know, on that end, is it pain? Can one of the younger guys step up? Um, and to your point, we've got 10 days. Is there someone they can bring in from the portal that just clicks? And yeah, we, we can hope, right? We can hope. All right, let's go to a couple more rooms. The linebacker room, I think this one is sort of that twofold, right? What we talked about with the wide receiver room. Because I, th- I think right now, Brian, without a shadow of a doubt, Alan Tisdale is going to be the leader of that unit. Uh, the question is, is he going to be the leader of that unit from the Mike linebacker position? I keep saying I think he is. <laughs> I think he's going to play. I, I mean, no one else popped. You know, no disrespect. Jaden Keller looked good at times, but you know he's still a couple years away. Unless he takes a massive step this spring, but you feel like Tisdale probably knows the defense. He's shown some growth in the last year with everything that happened with the gambling thing and then not whining, not pouting, going in there, working scout team to keep himself in shape. And then 
coming Curtis out. has a theory about what he was doing on scout team. My theory is he played Mike. My theory is he played Mike on scout team. Why wouldn't you want the most veteran guy out there being the, the, the Mike on the scout team defense? Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right there. Um, I, I, I like Tisdale as far as this unit's leadership. Um, I think there's a lot of young potential in this unit, but there is no one else that has the the snap Everything. count the experience, the cachet is Tisdale. So I think he kind of steps into that role, at least for 2023. Now you made the point too about Tisdale is Tisdale's not had the get up here, ride it career. Tisdale has had a freaking roller coaster of a career, which you, when me and you were talking, you said that might be a great thing for this young room is the guy who has had those, who hasn't had the perfect times. Yeah, he's not he's not Captain America out there. He's not a guy that's like always been on the right track or always did the right thing or this that and the other. He's a guy that you know didn't always do the right thing or didn't always work as hard as he need to or things like that. But now, you know, he's turned it around. He's doing the right thing. He's getting it done. I think he showed so much last year, especially once he was cleared to play. I think that he's ready to kind of step into that type of role for this defense. Absolutely. Now. Brian, when we and you started talking about this, though, you mentioned a name that you said how he looked those last three games, and if he takes that step this year, he's going to be barking the orders for a couple years. Yeah, give me Kelly Lawson here. Um, I think he could really step into that kind of 1B leadership role, that lieutenant, um, heading into this year. Took a big step um, after switching positions and – switching sides of the ball like there, there was a lot of things that were in flux for him and as the season went on he really kind of grew into that role and I think you know he's seen you've seen him he's been vocal on the field vocal on the sideline he plays with his heart on his sleeve a lot and I think people could rally around that so you know that that's going to be a guy to keep your eye on if he can kind of put all the other pieces together long term I think we got a leader in Lawson and a leader that can absolutely ball and is a freak. So, awesome. Well, one more room to hit, Brian. We're going to look at the defensive back room. We're going to look at that together, kind of like looking at the defensive line room. And, I mean, everything is on the table for the overall group leader, very, very likely to be Dorian Strong um, come springtime. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll caveat that with in that room, you, you could potentially see if Delane comes on more. He's still very young, uh, but I think the the season that he put out last year, especially um, how how much he came on once he got an opportunity, people are definitely going to look to him as one of those guys in the locker room. But I think it's strong initially just because he does have, um, again, two years under his belt as a full-time starter. Um, and he, he's a guy that I think can really kind of keep the unit together and and kind of work through the things it, when they need to work through them to, to get, get better as the season goes along. So I'm looking at Strong as being that guy out the gate, uh, especially in the spring, um, because I think he's just the guy that they're going to look to as, as, the, as the true veteran on that unit. Yep. I mean, three years playing and everything. 
Now, we mentioned it earlier, Jamari Connor. Jamari Connor, effectively like Dax, probably since 2019, led his room, led the safety room. And let's be for real, I think the way it's shaping up, I mean, you know, I like Nasir Peoples and everything, but the way Stroman played last year, the name, the caveat, you know, Big Big Bro got a pick, by the way. You see that? You see Big yeah. Bro? Pick? I hey, saw it. I good, saw good it. For, good for Greg. But I think Jalen Stroman, he will definitely lead the safety group this year. Um, I think I don't think there's a doubt in that. I just you see him, you just like it's that feel. It's kind of like the way Greg was. Greg was a de facto leader of the D block. So I mean, do, do you do you see anybody else potentially trying to taking that from him, or is, do you think that's his? I think it's kind of going to be Stroman and Peoples one A one B. Um, and I think you might see the spring peoples have it. And then Stroman kind of takes it over as we get to the fall. Um, and that, and that's okay. That, that kind of stuff happens. I mean, but you know, you'll see it when it happens, right? Um, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of see leaders emerge if, if your eyes are open and you're watching what's happening. So, um, but, but I think, you know, that, that's something where, if Strowman doesn't emerge out of the gate in the off season, I think you'll see him kind of take that mantle as he starts making some of those big plays in the big games. And I think people start turning to him as being kind of the guy, kind of the juice for that room. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, you know, there's some, there's some position groups we didn't mention in here, obviously. And, you know, obviously the most standout is just quarterback just because can't call a leader at that yet because there is going to be a competition. The competition is going to start in just a couple weeks here with winter workouts. Um, so we didn't mention that one. Drones. Either. Drones. Well, that'd be a competition. <laughs> I'm not saying. Drones. That. All right. And then we, we did mention, we did mention running back room or the tight end room. Um, you know, Gallo's definitely still the leader of the tight end room. He's as good as Daquan Wright played and the running back room. You know, it to me is still Malachi because when Malachi played, the offense looked significantly better last year. King has had the bigger plays. Malachi just seems to have just the the better fit for down by down. Yeah, if that makes sense. And I think that and that actually helps King because when King can be a change of pace. He, you know, you're going to see him break those big plays more consistently. Yeah, but but again, I go back to think about when Malachi King was Miami, right? No, not yeah. Miami, Miami. I always lose. Give me a moment here. This is why I keep certain pages up. But I felt like when Malachi came in, it's like the offense was starting to take shape until he got hurt, right? Malachi had had some big plays here or there that, that kept the offense on the field when it otherwise should have been off the field. Exactly. Exactly. And I think so he, Malachi, he's the guy that kind of makes up for – he made up for some of the deficiencies that this offense had last year in spots. And I think yeah, that will open yeah, up even yeah, more. Yeah, and that will yeah. open up even more with more RPO this year, with less of a focus on – the ground and pound play action a little more on getting that defensive line in conflict uh, as to whether it's run or pass. So um, 
the more we the more we lean on that, the easier it's going to be for these running backs and Malachi to, to really kind of get yeah. into games and take over games. And and, and and the reason I still say Malachi, Malachi played in three games this year. He got hurt in the state game. He had almost 250 yards from scrimmage, two touchdowns, in basically two and a half quarters. And <laughs> if we saw in the state game, when he went down, the juice went out of the offense. Yes, it game. did. Yes, it did. All right. We Real quick, just a message here. Coach Compton not able to make it tonight. He will be on with us soon. Definitely going to talk about the AFCA conference um, that he attended in. Maybe maybe looking at some a few other things with some schematics with big guy there. Um, one other thing, Brian, not trying to be political on this show, but he is a hokey. He is a hokey we grew up with. Um, watching him play in that safety position. Aaron Rouse got elected to the Virginia State Senate tonight, so a big congrats to him. Um, you know, good yeah, for down Aaron. Down in Virginia Beach, seventh district. Seventh district down at the beach. So good for him. You know, uh, anything else breaking? It's this is not the time of year. Anything's breaking. Anybody losing? <laughs> I mean, it's not, not not a lot of breaking. At least hokey related because there's no, nothing really. Yeah, nothing really we're, shaking tonight. We're, we're we're waiting here. We're waiting. But if there is nothing left, Brian, let's wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. Again, those who did not listen to the state of the program episode, go back and listen to it. You missed a banger. It it, it went off the rails a little bit at the end, but it was a banger. (laughs) Well, again, but it was also really good points made. We made yeah, some and, I, and, and, and I let Tally know that he was making good points a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, there is a certain segment where you know Brian probably forgot his own name is when you hear him agreeing with Tally a lot loudly. Right there. We pinpointed it. We found In, in the second half of the episode, you could play a drinking game just on the number of times I said, I'm right there with you, Tally. If you he took did. a shot every time you did that, You'd have been wrecked. You'd be as drunk as I was. LeVar, we appreciate it, man. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us tonight. We got quite quite a few. Yes, it was hilarious. LeVar approves. <laughs> um, but uh, while you're there, follow us, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go to our YouTube, which is continuing to grow more and more. We appreciate that out there, y'all. As always, we let our buddy uh, Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check him out on his website, jasonlongmusic.com. I'm sure he's going to probably be having some dates somewhere in the near future where he's going to be playing. Link to all of his music on Apple, Spotify. Um, Also, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, where you can find our podcast as well. Also, check out Jason's YouTube and Facebook pages. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies!